With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. When Mark Kilroy took a trip to Mexico during his spring break away from medical school, he imagined sun, fun, and hoped to meet some ladies. Things were looking up for the young man when he and his buddies met a group of women who were also on spring break from the University of Kansas and partied with them at a nightclub in Matamoros just over the border from Texas. When Mark stopped to talk to a beautiful woman, he became separated from his friends. They weren't worried about him because it was spring break and the area was filled with other like-minded young adults, most of whom were American and also just looking to have a good time. Unfortunately, once Mark was alone, he was preyed upon by one of the most evil cult leaders in North America, someone who believed the young man would make the perfect human sacrifice. This is Monsters. The religion of Palo began making its way to the New World in the 1500s. Slaves captured and brought from the Congo region of Africa brought their religions and beliefs with them, and in certain parts of the world, those religions survived to the present day. Cuba specifically allowed for a higher degree of cultural preservation than other parts of the world because slaves were often forced into skilled labor, where mortality rates were slightly less appalling than with more grueling tasks. However, Spanish colonizers, fearing an uprising, tried to keep slaves from different parts of Africa separated so that they wouldn't feel a sense of unity. Though it was impossible to keep people completely separate, this led to multiple cultures being preserved in their own way. The Yoruba people from Western Africa kept their religion as well alongside those from the Congo. These two belief systems were passed down side by side in Cuba, all while Spanish colonizers tried to force anyone under their rule into Catholicism. Enslaved people learned to pretend that they were converting to Catholicism while still practicing their own beliefs in secret. They would worship the Catholic saint that most closely resembled the deity that they wanted to contact. Eventually, this led to a merging of beliefs. The religion of the Yoruba people became Santeria, and Palo became its own defined religion that had more fully separated from the native African beliefs. Although Catholicism was originally only injected as a front in both Palo and Santeria, it's become an essential part of both religions. Many practitioners will attend Mass, and Catholic churches in Mexico and the Caribbean will sometimes include effigies of other deities. When taking a closer look at Palo, it's easy to see why it's so readily merged with Catholicism. Catholicism follows a belief in one all-powerful God, but there are numerous saints all representing different ideas that can be reached in prayer as well. Paulo follows one creator god with numerous lesser gods, each representing an idea or fact of life who can be reached with prayer and rituals. Catholic churches must be built incorporating a relic or body part of a dead saint. Paulo involves making a cauldron in a small house of worship that must contain human remains. When religious persecution declined in more modern times, Paulo and Santeria both became more prominent and started to influence each other even more. After the Cuban Revolution, with the influx of refugees, both religions started gaining a foothold in America. Among these refugees was a teenage girl named Delia Aurora Gonzalez. On November 1st, 1962, Delia had her first child at just 15 years old. His name was Adolfo de Jesus Constanzo. 
Delia lived in a neighborhood in Miami known as Little Havana, where both Santeria and Paulo thrived, and the similar religion of voodoo brought from Haiti was welcomed. As an adult, Adolfo would later tell friends and clients that he'd been immersed in Paulo from a very young age. He would say that when he was a baby, his mother took him to a priest of Paulo Mayambe, known as a Palero. Allegedly, this priest examined Adolfo, blew smoke around him, and looked into his future. He told Delia that, quote, This child is a chosen one. He is destined for greatness, for power. When Adolfo was less than a year old, his father, also a teenager, left Delia and abandoned him. After this, Delia moved in with family in Puerto Rico, and this presented a formative time for Adolfo. When looking into the childhoods of murderers and serial killers, there's often a point in their childhood where you can pinpoint things going wrong. For Adolfo, his time spent in Puerto Rico was the opposite. It was the only time in his young life when things felt as if they weren't headed towards any other path than destruction. Delia met a reasonably well-off businessman who by all accounts took in Adolfo as his own. Adolfo went to school and made the honor roll. He excelled at tennis and was a devout altar boy at church. He was also starting to develop his personality as a charming and obsessively neat child. Delia said her son was obsessively clean from the time he was a toddler. He would keep his clothes ironed as soon as he was old enough to walk and talk. But when Adolfo was 10 years old, his stepfather became gravely ill. The family moved back to Miami for treatment and he passed away shortly after. This left Delia to her own devices, letting the family and Adolfo's younger siblings live in squalor. Animals brought in would defecate and urinate all over the floor. Delia began dabbling even more in Santeria and Palomiambi and would sacrifice chickens, often leaving blood and chicken heads on the floor of their house. Delia had two more short-lived marriages, both abusive or neglectful to Adolfo and his three younger siblings. Though the young boy never had a stable father figure in his life, he did for a time train with the Haitian padrino who had blessed him as a baby. Not much is known about Adolfo's teacher, but he showed him the ways of Paulo, specifically the branch known as Paulo Mayambi. Paulo Mayambi centers around creating a cauldron with which to commune with the dead and various deities. The cauldron is called an nganga and is stirred with 28 sticks, often gathered from trees that are deemed sacred. The nganga is meant to be a living entity and contains its own universe, influenced by what's put into it. A human skull is essential, sometimes a brain depending on the Polero's individual beliefs. This provides the pathway to speaking with the spirits and gives Nganga the ability to think. The skull is always meant to be harvested from those already dead, and though it is centered on a grim practice that often leads to grave robbing, the religion is not inherently meant to be used for evil. It certainly has dark roots and practices, but many who practice it are trying to heal illnesses or bring good fortune to themselves and the people they care about. But like any religion, some use it for evil. Regardless of their intentions, all who practice it are aware of its dark potential. The Nganga is always supposed to be kept outside of the house, somewhere where the dark spirits within cannot contaminate those living nearby. Delia did not follow this practice. She kept her nganga in the house and would let her children stir the pot full of rotting animal parts with her. Adolfo's padrino did not always follow the proper way to practice Paulo Mayambe either. According to a family friend, Adolfo's mysterious padrino would tell him about how, back home in Haiti, he would occasionally kill to get the skulls for his nganga. The Constanzo family was not the only family practicing these religions at the time. To get an idea of how prominent the Afro-Caribbean religions of Paulo, Santeria, and Voodoo were in Miami at the time, here's a fun fact. Over just three months in 1989, the total number of dead chickens found floating in the Miami River was over 200. This was in addition to turtles, cats, dogs, eels, and an assortment of other animals, often always headless, sometimes with the skull cut open to remove the brain. 
While Adolfo had his padrino as a strong male figure in his life, he was charged with being that figure for one of his siblings. Adolfo's younger brother, Fausto Rodriguez, recalled that Adolfo was often tasked with being the man of the house. Fausto later said that Adolfo had been like a father to him. The younger brother fondly recalled a New Year's Eve during their childhood where all of his family except for him were invited to numerous New Year's parties. Adolfo elected to stay with Fausto instead so he wouldn't be alone. Delia told the media that Adolfo had few friends as a child because he preferred his family and spending time with her. Other sources told the media that Adolfo had few friends because he and his siblings would leave headless chickens on doorsteps. By the time he was just 14 years old, Adolfo had a child of his own, but the mother of the child's family took care of him and cut off all contact with Adolfo. Around this same time, Adolfo dropped out of school and his prospects in life became grim. Though he earned his GED, he could only find odd jobs. While he was floundering in traditional success, his family said that in his early adulthood, his psychic abilities blossomed. Allegedly, in 1980, he predicted that Ronald Reagan would be shot at, but survive. Delia claimed that Adolfo could also heal the sick and astral project outside of his body. His brother backed up these claims, saying it was clear to those around him that Adolfo had superhuman abilities. When he turned 21, Adolfo found the ultimate success in religion. His padrino had decided it was finally time for his formal initiation. In preparation, Adolfo was told to bathe in herbs, sleep under a sacred tree, and wear special robes that had lain buried in a cemetery for weeks. The teacher took him to an old rusted aluminum shed where he kept his nganga, something that Adolfo had never been allowed to see before. Adolfo was blindfolded while his padrino sharpened a sacred knife. Initiates into Palomayambi are given a deity that will be their guiding spirit. Adolfo's was to be Pembe, the Palo version of the devil himself. Adolfo was questioned on if he was ready to give up his soul to join. Adolfo said he was. What followed was a series of bizarre rituals, though that's not unusual in most religions. Running a live chicken along Adolfo's body, then spilling the chicken's lifeblood into the nganga. Gunpowder was burned on a knife, and then, when the knife was hot enough, Adolfo's skin was marked with a series of burning cuts. They would scar into his own personal signature. Each palera was meant to have their own unique pattern. The markings were a series of arrows and X's along his forearms and back. These markings looked somewhat feather-like and strikingly similar to the arrows and hatches which are drawn to mark down cowrie shell readings, a profession Adolfo would later master. In 1983, Adolfo was offered a modeling job in Mexico City and finally left the nest. His career was not terribly successful, but the glamour of being a model helped him to network. He had another child, but kept sporadic contact with the mother this time. As evidenced by his numerous children, Adolfo would occasionally have flings with women, but his only documented long-term relationships were with men. It was in Mexico City that Adolfo began to hone his supposedly supernatural powers. His padrino had set him up with contacts in the world of magic, so while he tried to scrape by as a model by day, by night he was learning how to make a living as a witch. He quickly shacked up with Martin Quintana Rodriguez, a local man who was smitten with Adolfo. He let him live in his house and would follow him around, being his bodyguard while Adolfo dipped his toes into the local magic scene. For a time, Adolfo would go back and forth between Miami and Mexico City, staying for a stint and making a bit of money throwing cowrie shells or reading Spanish cards to predict people's future. Though he was a newcomer, Adolfo quickly gained a reputation. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. 
Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This reputation would end up drawing a young college student to him. His name was Omar Francisco Oria Ochoa. And from a young age, Omar had been fascinated with magic and the occult. This fascination began when he went to see a palm reader as a teenager, and the palm reader told him that one day he would meet a very powerful man who would determine Omar's destiny. As a college kid who recently moved to the big city, Omar quickly started trawling gay bars and fortune teller shops alike, always on the lookout for this man he was meant to meet. During his quest, Omar found accommodation by staying with a retired model named Jorge Montez. Jorge was a mystic himself and went by the name of Dr. Hindu to appear exotic to his clients. The two lived together for a time and Jorge was interested in helping Omar find this mystery man of his. One day, Jorge told Omar about a promising lead. There was a new magician in town who was making quite a splash. Friends, family members, and acquaintances of Adolfo who later spoke to the media would often give earnest accounts of his supernatural powers. They swore that Adolfo knew things he shouldn't know, that he could see into your thoughts. Omar was no exception. When later recalling that meeting with Adolfo, he swore that the man had true magic powers. Adolfo read the Spanish cards to Omar. He told Omar that he knew he was studying journalism at school. He knew what part of Mexico he'd grown up in. Adolfo talked about Omar's family and his passions, enamoring him with information he couldn't possibly know. Before finally telling Omar that he was about to finally fulfill a prophecy he'd been waiting on, Adolfo told Omar that there was nothing to be afraid of and that he was the man Omar had been waiting for. It's quite possible this recollection was clouded with exaggeration. Omar would quickly become infatuated with Adolfo and look up to him. Was it possible, as so many who were involved in the strange case of Adolfo Constanzo claimed, that there really was something supernatural going on? Or perhaps, most simply, Jorge, who had connections to many of the fortune tellers in Mexico City, had briefed Adolfo about Omar and his prophecy. But if that was the case, Jorge has never owned up to that particular offense. Soon, Omar would join the fold as Adolfo's lover, which his current partner Martin begrudgingly accepted. Adolfo and Jorge networked together with Jorge helping him meet more people in the modeling world and Adolfo offering free readings to Jorge. From there, Adolfo's reputation and followers grew. A family friend and former model named Maria del Rocia Suevis Guerra came to Adolfo for help when she heard about how talented he was. She said she'd always had bad luck with men and in life in general. He performed a change of head ceremony on her meant to banish the guiding spirit that had been treating her so poorly and get her a new one. He told her her real name was Carla and gave her a new guiding spirit. And in keeping with the way Adolfo often manufactured luck for many of his followers, he became Carla's new lover, conveniently ending her streak of bad luck with men. Other times, luck was genuinely on Adolfo's side. A local drag queen named Damien, who'd been stiffed on his pay, then beaten for arguing, paid Adolfo to get revenge on the club owner who'd screwed him over. Adolfo performed an elaborate ceremony for Damien's benefit, then also arranged behind his back for someone to leave a dead chicken and bloody threatening notes around the nightclub. The club owner was so stressed about the notes that he had a heart attack and died just a few weeks later. Eventually, Jorge, Omar, and Martin became Adolfo's first official followers. He took them into his worship room, sacrificed chickens on them, and marked their backs. By then, he'd also perfected his ritual to include spraying hallucinogenic rum around the room, which for the followers who didn't know any better aided in the mysticism. Adolfo had two other followers during this time, 
two women named Pilar and Mara, who were initiated, but they vanished at some point and their fate is unknown. The drag queen, Damien, was initiated formally as well, along with Carla, and a real estate broker named Francisco, who claimed Adolfo had predicted the earthquake that devastated Mexico City in 1985. For Adolfo's first in Ganga, his followers helped him rob a grave, and in turn, he gave them a show. They brought the body back, laid out candles, and prepared for an elaborate ceremony. Adolfo laid the remains in front of an altar, then had his followers cover him with a white sheet as if he had died. Adolfo threw off the sheet, contorting and making faces as if he were being possessed. Then he put on a strange voice and pretended to be that of a spirit. Omar questioned Adolfo under his guise and supposedly, speaking in the voice of the spirit, he agreed to serve them in the Nganga. They put the skeleton into the cauldron along with numerous other bizarre items. Coins, a goat's head, a roasted turtle, and a boiled cat. The spirit in the Nganga would need to be fed and appeased regularly to do the cult's bidding. In creating his Nganga, Adolfo became the commander of the spirit. Adolfo told his followers that they were now part of his family and that he would instruct the spirit to bring them good fortune and to protect them. Adolfo's reputation brought him even more clients after that, which he no doubt attributed to finally creating his Nganga. With his newfound wealth, he started taking his boyfriends on lavish trips and shopping sprees and developed a rather interesting and expensive taste in fashion himself. He was always wearing numerous gold chains and would wear clunky rings with rubies and sapphires on them. He started practicing Paulo Mayambi more openly with his clients, though for him it would always be intertwined with Santeria. For his cleansing ceremonies, Adolfo would have the client lie down naked at his altar. He would then pass animals, both living and dead, over their bodies while chanting in Bentu. Then, he would run an egg across them and pretend to be possessed by a lesser spirit in Santeria. Once he put on a show of being possessed, he would then smash the egg on the altar. One of the most common deities Adolfo would contact for his clients was Alegua. He is the god who controls the different paths that one life can take, and can be reached by simply sacrificing a chicken. When Alegua is appealed to for good-natured reasons, he's often associated with St. Peter. When he's appealed to for evil reasons, he's associated with the devil. For darker requests, a common deity to reach out to was the warrior god Shango. He could take vengeance on one's enemies and would perform bloody services if asked. With his connections to the world of fashion and modeling and his reputation for uncanny predictions, Adolfo started to reach prestigious clients. Though he would later staunchly deny this to the media, Famous singer Oscar Addy was among Adolfo's first celebrity clients. Omar had run into Oscar at a bar and started up a conversation. Oscar's career had been fading in recent years, and Omar got the singer chatting and made it a point to say that he knew someone who helped people turn their luck around. Oscar agreed rather quickly to meet up with Adolfo. The two met at VIPs, a cheap American-style breakfast chain. It was essentially a Denny's, but Adolfo liked it because he associated American products with wealth and class. Oscar sat down at the greasy diner with Adolfo and was offered a steep discount on his services in exchange for a favor. If Oscar would introduce Adolfo to his famous friends, his services would be free. Though the true extent of Adolfo's network may never be known, he also provided services for a celebrity hairstylist and an actress. But as Adolfo ventured deeper into the limelight and word of his powers spread, he started to get requests from criminals. Superstition and religion are very big amongst drug traffickers. Adolfo's childhood padrino had helped his local dealers by offering them rituals to help them evade the police. So when drug dealers started approaching Adolfo, it seemed only natural to follow in his padrino's footsteps. With drug runners and drug dealers seeking out Adolfo, it wasn't long before law enforcement started sniffing around. But they weren't there to arrest him. No, 
At that time, corruption in Mexican law enforcement was exceedingly common. Officers of the law started seeking out Adolfo simply because many of them ran in the same circles as the dealers he was working with. Among the most notable was a federale named Salvador Vidal Garcia Arcon. He was known as Three-Face because he had a rather nasty scar running down the middle of his face, making the left and right sides of his face look somewhat different. And the third face was because, when viewed from the front, he didn't quite look like either of his two side faces. Salvador had become friends with Jorge because the Federale was somewhat of a celebrity himself amongst the mystics and witches of Mexico City. Salvador claimed that because his face had been disfigured, he was inhabited by three warring spirits possessing him. He claimed the spirits were an African witch, a Sioux Indian, and a Cuban murderer. Because of his claims, Salvador was seen as a witch himself, but he didn't want the power that came with this possession. He found the spirits disruptive. Conveniently, Jorge knew of a man who could help him. When Salvador met with the magic man for the first time, there was no preamble where Adolfo told him about his life and his desires. Adolfo instead threw the cowrie shells and got straight to the point. He told Salvador that he could sense there were three warring spirits within him, and correctly named each one. That was all the Federale needed to hear, which is good because it's probably all Adolfo knew to tell him. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From then on, Adolfo had Salvador's loyalty. Salvador went into the Nganga room and got his initiation scars. While Adolfo helped guide Salvador in the spirit world to bring him peace, Salvador opened the door to both law enforcement and drug trafficking for Adolfo. Salvador had numerous contacts on both sides of the law. He even gave Adolfo the power to pose as a police officer himself, providing him with a badge and credentials so he could effectively pose as an officer. With Salvador's contacts in the drug world reaching out to Adolfo, he was able to start charging more for his services. Cleansing and protection ceremonies went from the hundreds to the thousands. By then, Adolfo had bought a pricey condo for himself and his lovers. Like anywhere Adolfo lived, it was immaculately clean except for his ritual room. He set up a marble altar in an attempt to match the decor of the rest of the house, and he built his new nganga. He called the room his Room of the Dead, and just as Delia had done in his childhood home, he ignored the warnings that traditional Apollo teaching had against keeping the nganga in one's home. Adolfo's performances became even more theatrical. For the right price, he would sacrifice boa constrictors, zebras, and even young lions. Though Adolfo would never try to sacrifice an adult lion, it would become a lifelong pattern of his that he would never take on prey that might have a chance of fighting back. While Adolfo was wowing these drug dealers with ceremony, what he did behind the scenes brings up an interesting question of whether or not he truly believed in the power of his own magic. For clients who were paying a great deal and who Adolfo knew would seek revenge if his predictions were wrong, he would often take practical measures to ensure their success. He would arrange with Salvador to make sure the Federales knew to stay off of a certain road on a certain day, or he would wait to consult with his client until he had behind-the-scenes information from his law enforcement contacts to ensure he already knew the run would be safe or that police attention would be elsewhere. Perhaps the most famous and by far the most shocking customer Adolfo had during these early years was a man named Florentino Ventura Gutierrez. To properly explain the significance of Adolfo's ties to Florentino, 
An apt comparison would be if the head of the FBI in America was regularly going to see Charles Manson for spiritual advice, and in turn, feeding him information about how to evade law enforcement. Florentino was not only the commandante of the Mexican Federal Judicial Police, but he was also Mexico's lead director of Interpol. How exactly the two got involved with each other is anyone's guess, but it's often speculated that Florentino was feeding Adolfo information in exchange for his spiritual guidance, giving him intel that not even Salvador had. From 1985 to 1987, Adolfo was satisfied with simply running his growing business. He bought more condos, cars, and jewelry, and for a time that was enough. But in 1987, he started dipping his toes into the trafficking business. They would make deals with policemen who had seized cocaine for sale and then resell it. They would look for small-time dealers they weren't in business with, don their police badges and uniforms, and steal other dealers' drugs in a pretend raid. Though with Salvador in tow, perhaps it technically counted as a real raid. With his newfound path to making money, Adolfo started to grow bored with his magician business. He would torment small clients who had no influence cursing them or cutting them. As he started to grow jealous of his rich clients, the ones who could make exponentially more money than him just by running a few drugs, eventually, Adolfo got it into his head that he wanted to try his hand at the business. He selected Guillermo Calzada as the man he felt owed him a cut of his drug business. Guillermo had combined his family's fire extinguisher business with his family's lesser-known cocaine smuggling business and would smuggle cocaine to America inside of imported fire extinguishers. When compared to dealers and smugglers who were running hundreds of pounds of drugs, the Calzada family was somewhat small-time, but wealthy enough that Guillermo was not quite ready to see Adolfo at his level. Guillermo had been a client of Adolfo's for several months, and he was quite fond of the magician. He'd been wowed by Adolfo's usual introduction, of pretending to know everything about his life and reading his cowrie shells, when in reality he knew everything about Guillermo through his police contacts. Guillermo was a fan of Adolfo, certainly, but the way Adolfo went about proposing the partnership was tactless, to say the least. Adolfo paid a visit to Guillermo somewhat out of the blue and demanded 50% of his cocaine smuggling profits to continue his magical protection. Guillermo tried to politely defer Adolfo, telling him he didn't want to change their current arrangement, so Adolfo proceeded to simply repeat his demands slowly and condescendingly as if Guillermo were a disobedient child. Things escalated into a screaming match, and Adolfo was told to leave and never come back. On his way out the door, Guillermo's bodyguard laughed at the magician, and if Adolfo had not already been plotting his revenge, he certainly was after that. If Adolfo had killed anyone at this point in time, his followers didn't know, and as his closest confidants, it seems likely they would be the ones to know if anyone. Perhaps the two priestesses who vanished had been Adolfo's testing ground, snuffed out in secret so as to not drive the others away from him. But the events that unfolded on April 30th of 1987 were so gruesome that it's hard to believe Adolfo had never taken a human life before. A few days after their fight, Adolfo called up Guillermo insisting he wanted to apologize. He told him that he certainly must have been possessed by a spirit, and that's why he acted the way he had. He told Guillermo that he may have inadvertently infected him with the same ill spirit as well, and that he wanted to perform a free cleansing ceremony as a sign of goodwill. Who could pass up a free spiritual cleansing? Adolfo told Guillermo that he wanted to make sure nobody else that was close to Guillermo was infected with the spirit, so he should bring his workers and family to the ceremony as well. Adolfo even offered to bring any ritualistic items he might need and perform the ceremony right at Guillermo's office. Guillermo elected to bring his mother, his wife, his bodyguard, his business partner, his secretary, and his maid, who was only a teenage girl at the time. Adolfo brought in live chickens, chicken eggs, and various statues of saints and made a point to set up a room in the building as a ritual room. 
Upon searching Adolfo and his ritualistic paraphernalia, Guillermo's bodyguards seemed to relax as there wasn't anything dangerous. Adolfo stalled, he chanted in Bantu, and brandished a ceremonial dagger making a show that he was about to do a cleansing. But just a few minutes in, Martin burst into the room with a machine gun. Confiding in the other cult members, Martin would later say that he didn't know what Adolfo was going to do. Adolfo stabbed Guillermo first, and Martin threw up and cried as the slaughter began. When the bodies were found weeks later, washing up in groups in a nearby river, disposed of just like the animals Adolfo killed as a child, authorities would find each and every one mutilated, even the teenage girl and Guillermo's elderly mother. Men and women alike had their genitals cut off, and Adolfo discovered what would become a lifelong fondness for cutting off ears and toes. He used his dagger to cut out the heart of Celia Campos' decline, whose only crime had been being Guillermo's secretary. As if he were reenacting an ancient Aztec sacrifice, Adolfo had cut out her heart while she was still alive and then slit her throat. Two of the victims were deemed special enough to have their brains spilled out for the Nganga, and two were selected to have their spines removed so Adolfo could make necklaces out of them later. Four of the bodies were so mutilated that they were never formally able to be identified. Police attempted to investigate. The day after the slaughter, they found the Calzada Company bus had been set on fire outside of Guillermo's office. Inside the office, they found eggshells and blood coating one of the floors. This initially spurred them to look into the ritualistic sacrifice angle, but the discovery of the drug smuggling setup and the extensive mutilation of the bodies once they were found had them write it off as a hit set up by a rival gang. Adolfo was not shy about sharing his accomplishments with his followers. After he came back to the house, forcing Martin to carry the brains for his nganga, he bragged about the killings. Slaughtering an entire family was not something any of them had done before, but apparently it didn't faze any of them enough to try to leave the cult. Adolfo told them that he would have them participate in the next sacrifice as well, promising that when they got human blood on their hands, their souls would be dead as well, and God could not touch them. This still didn't seem to scare any of them away. Though Adolfo would never partake in drugs himself, he sampled the violence and blood associated with the drug trade and he was hooked. Salvador got transferred to a border city called Matamoros and under Adolfo's orders started looking for new clients with a more direct route to America. This was an easy task for Salvador because his commandante, essentially the chief of police at the department he'd been transferred to, was already working for a drug family with the last name Hernandez. Salvador waited for an opening to pitch the connection to Adolfo, and when the leading brother of the family was killed, and the younger brother was struggling to take over, he felt that the time was right. The younger brother was named Elio, and he was floundering. Salvador searched for an angle, some kind of inn they could use to get in contact with Elio in a way that would convince him of Adolfo's powers. Salvador found this in a young college student named Sarah Maria Aldrid Villarreal. Sarah was Elio's ex-girlfriend. She was an honors student majoring in physical education, and though she attended Brownsville University across the border, she lived in Matamoros. Adolfo decided to take his chances at seducing Sarah to get to Elio. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Adolfo approached Sarah in the way a dashing lead may have in a rom-com. By an advance that any sane person would rebuff in real life or perhaps contact the authorities about. Sarah and her younger sister had been cruising around in Sarah's car when a Crown Vic pulled up beside them. 
Adolfo was behind the wheel honking and yelling for Sarah to pull over. She refused, so he passed her, then pulled over sideways, blocking Sarah and bringing traffic to a halt. Sarah yelled for Adolfo to move his car, and when he refused, she got out, ready for a fight. But he chided her, telling her they wouldn't be blocking traffic if she had just pulled over to talk to him. Allegedly, passers-by egged on Adolfo, telling Sarah to talk to him, assuming there was some kind of lover's quarrel. And against all rationality, Sarah got back into her car and agreed to pull over out of the way to talk to Adolfo. This was how he won her over. Sarah was not desperate. She was a striking woman with highlights in her hair and an athletic figure accented by her six-foot-one height. She had a few men she was seeing casually already, and yet somehow this unhinged man, covered in jewelry, with a classic 80s mullet, won her over. Sarah later recalled their first meeting as Adolfo mostly talking to her, telling her of his travels and the exotic places he'd been. Though Adolfo was careful not to tell her too much, he even introduced himself with the fake name Alejandro and claimed he worked as a lawyer and just wanted someone to keep him company the few weeks he was in town. Later, Sarah, Adolfo, and Martin all met up for dinner and once again Martin sat on the sidelines as Adolfo attempted to seduce a new lover. For two weeks, Adolfo and Sarah casually dated. Perhaps Adolfo was still satisfied with the killing of the Calzada clan, or perhaps he did feel a genuine affection for Sarah. But when he spotted her with another man she was seeing named Gilberto, he decided he needed to step up his game. He pulled Sarah aside at their next date and told her that his name was actually Adolfo and that he was on an assignment undercover as a federale. He had the badge and cop car to prove it, and Sarah seemed smitten to be trusted with such a secret. After that, with a little more prodding from Adolfo, she dumped Gilberto. The two dated more formally, but didn't become official until a strange revelation happened for Adolfo. They were shopping on September 5th, a few months after they'd met, when Sarah mentioned that the next day was her birthday. Adolfo lit up and asked her what time in the morning she had been born, and Sarah told him. He grew even more excited and told her that she'd been born on the same day and time as his mother. After that, he dragged Sarah to the nearest telephone and called up Delia. Many who knew Adolfo would later talk about how he almost seemed to revert back to a child when speaking to his mother. He would put on a cooing, high-pitched voice. When Delia picked up, he said, quote, Mommy, I met a girl who was born the same day as you. We're in love. This rather sudden statement didn't scare Sarah away, nor was she put off by Adolfo's new habit of introducing her to strangers as his wife. He explained it was for her protection as no one would mess with the wife of a federale. But it's possible Adolfo was genuinely smitten with Sarah after finding out she was somewhat similar to his mother. He put on a pretense of being straight for longer than he did with any other female partner, and he courted her for much longer than was necessary to meet Elio. A month and a half later, in late October, Adolfo would give up the ruse and admit to Sarah that he was gay and dating Martin, as well as Omar back in Mexico City. He confusingly said that he still wanted to date her and Sarah decided to stick around, possibly in part because she had gotten glimpses into Paulo Mayambi and Santeria by then, and she was enamored with the idea of being able to predict her future. When Adolfo would tell Sarah about his occult activities, it was always in small snippets, always trying to keep her wanting more. Finally, she agreed to have her cards read by him. Adolfo predicted three things for Sarah. That she would get a scholarship for her school, that an old friend would reach out to her, and that a former lover would soon come to her to help him solve a problem. How exactly Adolfo orchestrated these predictions is unclear. Sarah got a scholarship, but if she hadn't, Adolfo certainly could have arranged something. An old friend did call Sarah to catch up because he was going to be in Matamoros. Perhaps Adolfo was keeping tabs and had seen the plane ticket booked. How Adolfo orchestrated the third prediction is unclear. But a few weeks later, Sarah was out and about in town when Elio approached her to catch up. 
She asked how he was, and he immediately told her that things were not well. Sarah had been coached on what to do when this happened. She listened, sympathized, and then told Elio she knew a man who could help. While Adolfo made arrangements over the phone with Elio, talking preliminary numbers and organization, he decided it was time to initiate Sarah. She was flown out to Mexico City, where she met Omar. She quickly bonded with him and became friends with Martin, no longer trying to compete for Adolfo's romantic affection. Adolfo carved the symbols into her back, sprayed the hallucinogenic rum around the room, and slit a chicken's throat. Sarah was drawn into the appeal of the dark rituals immediately. When the initiation was complete, Adolfo told Sarah that she would become their priestess, or La Madrina, and Sarah reluctantly accepted. Elio was flown out shortly after for his ceremony, bloody arrows and hatches carved into his back, and assurances given that he would be safe and successful from now on with his new family. Adolfo also told Elio that because Sarah was the priestess, he had to obey her, which really just meant he was going to be obeying Adolfo. After they had all been initiated, they went to VIPs to celebrate. Back in Matamoros, Elio brought his men into the fold who had predilections towards superstition. Many of these new initiates had a fondness for nicknames. There was La Mariposa, the Butterfly, El Gato, the Cat, and El Duby, which doesn't seem to translate to anything in English. El Duby's friend Carlos joined as well. He specialized in dealing coke to tourists. Aurelio Chavez was the last member of the group and provided an essential connection. He worked as a foreman at one of the Hernandez's drug operations. He worked on a farm called Rancho Santa Elena, where the Hernandez family would occasionally store their drugs. By this time, Adolfo had funded an extension to be built onto Sarah's family's home. Sarah was given her own efficiency apartment, and it was there that the new converts crowded together to learn about the rituals they were to take part in. Sarah was studying to be a teacher and delighted in holding what she called her classes about sacrifice and blood rituals. Adolfo knew that his converts might say they were ready for anything the cult had to offer, but he still wanted to indoctrinate them gently. While Sarah taught them the history of Paulo and Santeria, he worked with Elio to resell drugs seized by the Federales and get the business more stable. He was biding his time, making sure the cult knew the order of things and would obey him. When reading about Adolfo Constanzo, the majority of his victims are often mentioned offhand as being simply rival drug dealers. Oftentimes their names aren't mentioned, and sometimes there's even a dismissive air that because they were criminals they aren't worth talking about. And while it's true many had a connection to the drug trade, they should not all be lumped in together as violent criminals. Moises Castillo had 12 children and needed extra money to take time off of teaching to help his elderly father with his farm in Matamoros along the Rio Grande. Moises found the solution in his father's orchard by agreeing to let low-level dealers stash and smuggle weed through it. Unfortunately, Moises made the mistake of helping small-time smugglers just a few miles away from Rancho Santa Elena the property that Adolfo was hoping might house his new Nganga. Adolfo had grown rather attached to the ranch and didn't want anybody nearby interfering with his plans. Moises met his end on May 28, 1988. He'd been letting a local dealer prepare for a big run and keep marijuana in a shed on the property. Moises was working the fields that day, trying to get his father to take a break both so he would rest and so he wouldn't find out about the deal. When a truck rolled up with the dealer in the back, Moises waved, but the man in the truck didn't wave back. When the truck pulled up, Adolfo shoved the dealer to the ground, revealing his arms bound with tape. Allegedly, when Moises asked who Adolfo was, Adolfo said, quote, The devil come for your soul. They brought the men deeper into the orchard, away from prying eyes. Adolfo asked the men if they were good Christians, and when they said they were, he told his followers, quote, I told you, Christians are animals. 
and then he shot both men in the head. After the torture Adolfo had reveled in when killing the Calzada family, it's odd that he would choose such a quick end for these two men, and there are a few reasons that might be. The moon was not in the proper phase for a ritualistic sacrifice, so perhaps it was practicality. Or perhaps Adolfo knew he couldn't just throw his cult in the deep end. He wanted to see how they would react to killing before he introduced them to the way that he preferred to kill. Local boys would later try to tell Moises' father that they knew there were bodies buried in the orchard, and despite his son being presumably missing, the old man dismissed the boys as pulling a prank. If he had only listened to them, he could have found his son's body, and possibly stopped Adolfo in his tracks before he would go on to commit the other atrocities he had in mind. But the old man did not check the orchard, and weeks later, Adolfo came back. He waited until the moon was in the proper position for a ritual, then selected 28 sticks from the trees surrounding the men's unmarked grave. With his sacred sticks ready, Adolfo finally set about the task to build his new Nganga. But first, he would need to find a brain to spill into it. This is part one of a two-part episode. Part two will air this Thursday, February 2nd so subscribe and hit the notification button to make sure you don't miss the rest of this tale. Hear what Adolfo Constanzo has in store for Mark Kilroy and what ends up being done to stop him. If you're the victim of domestic abuse, please reach out to someone for help. Please talk to your local shelter or call the National Domestic Abuse Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. Or you can go to thehotline.org to chat with someone online. This website is set up so that at any time, hitting the escape key twice will take you to a Google search page. That way, if your abuser is nearby, you won't get caught seeking help. If you're having feelings of harming yourself or someone else, or even just need someone to talk to, please contact your local mental health facility, call 911, or call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline by simply dialing 988 in the United States. They're available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and will talk to you about any mental health issue you may be facing. Thanks so much for letting me tell you this story. If you enjoyed it, subscribe on whatever platform you're on, hit like, rate us, or leave us a comment. You can also check out our other show, Somewhere Sinister, on YouTube or anywhere that you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to support the show, check out our new merch at Teespring. The link is in the description. Thanks again, and be safe. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.